My friends, do you ever feel like you are being swallowed up by life? Do you ever feel that you're just being so overwhelmed by all of your responsibilities, by all of your busyness, by all of the things that you have to do, that it's just taking you over? I have to admit, I often start feeling this way, uh, usually a couple weeks before soccer camp, <laughs> every year. Do you ever feel like, like uh, you, you, you're not keeping up with the, 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 I guess, the pace of life? Like, like, like your life is just so um, taking over that it's taking you over. Like, let's say, you, you, and, and then you finally just get one problem solved, and three more present themselves. <laughs> or maybe you get all the way to the end of your list, you know, and you get everything checked off, and then now your health fails you. Or now you end up being sick right before you're supposed to rest. Life goes at a, a very fast pace. And our text from last week, if you remember the sermon from last week, um, which is the verses right before this text, was talking about these momentary troubles. You remember that? Momentary troubles, uh, which cause us to outwardly waste away. So our life, our earthly life here is filled with momentary troubles that cause us to outwardly waste away. And so the whole point of us as children of God is that we need to inwardly be growing and be strengthened every day because outwardly, the part that we can see, uh, the life that we contend and struggle with every day, that's wasting away. So inwardly, we have to grow. Today's text begins. Now, we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So this is comparing our earthly body, our earthly life, our earthly existence to a tent. We have to ask the great Lutheran question, what does this mean? Well, tents are nice, right? Um, tents keep the water out, at least most of it. Tents provide um, shelter for you. Unless you're up on the top of the mountain and a, and a windstorm rips all the stakes off in the middle of the night. Tents provide you a comfortable place to sleep. Okay, not really. <laughs> Those of you who have slept in tents, right? You're not going to agree with that. But if you tear that tent, if you damage that tent, if you destroy that tent, here's the thing. You can walk into Canadian Tire, plop down $129, and buy a new one. A tent suggests impermanence, doesn't it? A tent is something that is impermanent. For example, if, let's say if, if, if you, you're not going to go and, and buy like half an acre of land for whatever half an acre of land goes, $750,000 around here. You're not going to go out and buy half an acre of land so that you can build a home for your family to grow up in and then look at that land you just bought and think to yourself, hmm, what am I going to do? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to Canadian Tire and buy a tent. You're not going to do that, are you? If you want a home that's going to last, you're going to build a house. 
Now, if you want to go camping for a few days where you need shelter for a couple of nights, then a tent is what you need. But tents are not permanent. Tents are not permanent. They don't last. They're not meant to live in for the rest of your life. Okay? They go up. They go down. All right? So what is the point? Our human body, our human life, our human existence here is not permanent. In fact, a good part of the time, it's not comfortable. And a whole lot of the time, it's not safe either. Just like a tent. Well, I learned when we took our young, as they were young boys at the time, camping, we learned that, you know, tent would not be the safest place to protect them from a bear. All right? So, just like a tent, our lives here, they're not always safe. They're not always comfortable. But and certainly, they are not permanent. Now, our experience with tent generally has to do with camping, for those of you who actually like to go camping. But to understand what this meant to a Jewish Christian, we have to go all the way back to Leviticus 23. You see, they didn't go camping for recreation back then. Uh, a tent for them wasn't something you bought at Canadian Tire to go enjoy a few days out in the woods with your family. So if you want to understand this from the Jewish frame of mind, we have to go all the way back to Leviticus chapter 23. Way back in the Old Testament, God commanded the Israelites to spend one week every year and live in tents. He wasn't telling them to go camping, but he was telling them one week every year you had to go live in tents. It was called the Feast of Tabernacles. I don't know if you know this, but the word tabernacle simply means tent. All right? And, and once a week they had to do this. Why did God tell them that they had to live in tents one week out of the year? We'll quote from Leviticus. So that your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in tents when I brought them out of Egypt. So once a year, they had to leave the comfort of their homes and go outside into the elements and live in these impermanent outdoor structures or tents. And they probably weren't as nice as our tents you buy at Canadian Tire. And they had to do this to be reminded that they once had to live in tents in impermanent, uncomfortable structures before they ever got into the promised land. Even God's house was a tent. We called it the tabernacle. That's a tent. God's house was a tent before the temple was built. And all of that with the tabernacle, with these uh, children of Israel celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles every year, and this whole discussion, all of that was to teach them and to teach us that we have to live in a tent before we reach our promised land. So that was identifying with the, with the Jewish Christians, but it's also identifying with us today that we have to live in an impermanent, uncomfortable structure, our earthly body, our tent, before we reach our promised land. But here's the thing. While we labor in our tent, we already have a superior building of our own that comes from God. We already have it. Our text says, Now, we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. 
So we have something better to look forward to. Your tent isn't all that great, is it? But instead of whining about it, what this text is telling us is to let it remind you that you have something better, something permanent, something perfect, waiting for you to look forward to. An eternal house, not made by human hands, not sowed, not built, not made by human hands. And an eternal house that isn't made by human hands is perfect for people who are going to live forever with God. A tent would certainly not suit us. Even a nice wood house would not suit us. A brick, a stone house would not work. This is talking about something that's going to last forever. That's the kind of home we have to look forward to. And it's a gift. But let's come back to the present. Meanwhile, our text says, meanwhile, we groan. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. So friends, while we are here, we groan continually. The word there has the sense of continually. Every day here is like we get up and we groan. We're groaning. Well, I, I know you're not. I know you're good Christian people and I know you take a good attitude with you through life. But the truth is, every day that you do get up to the point you sleep, we, we are groaning in a sense because we are still in our earthly tents. It isn't the perfection that one day we're going to have. And so every day, continually, we are groaning. That is the groaning. That is the reality of life here. Our bodies have imperfections to them. The, the life we live in every day has challenges and hardships and frustrations and difficulties, and so we groan. Because, because things aren't completely... We aren't with God in perfection yet, and as long as we're not with imperfection, we're dealing with our body, we're dealing with our sinful nature and, and the struggles it has, and we're dealing with the assaults of the world around us that the devil throws in our way. So we groan. We are facing struggles right now that we won't face then. You've probably heard this verse from Romans chapter 8, verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. You watch the news. Hurricanes, forest fires, earthquakes, tsunamis. tsunamis. Um, can't you see that the world is groaning. We, we certainly can see that the world is groaning. We are groaning too. It's mind-blowing when you think about it that God created this world and, and the way God created this world was such a way that everything worked together in perfection and harmony. Everything. I mean, every last atom worked together in perfection and harmony. But then sin came and sin just threw a wrench in the gears. It just stopped all of that peace and harmony with, throughout all creation, not just in our lives and our relationship with God, first and foremost, but it threw a wrench into everything. And, and you saw, you read through Scripture, and right away you saw the effect that had in the lives of human beings. Life instantly became more difficult for Adam and Eve. Okay, work causes sweat. Childbirth causes screaming. The reality of life here the reality of sin in our life and the, the wrench that that has thrown into everything causes us to groan. Like, like if you can imagine this perfect piece of machinery, every, all the gears are, everything's going just right and someone throws a wrench into it. 
it's going to, not only is it going to, it's going to make a huge sound. It's not going to sound right, is it? There's going to be metal mashing into metal and screeching and the kind of thing that makes you get all, you know, like goosebumpy and you just, you don't want to hear that. That is the groaning that creation is now giving up. That is the groaning we are going through. And the reality of sin in our lives not only causes us to groan, but it causes us forever to live in this life in a way that we are longing for a time where there won't be any groaning. So the reality of sin makes us groan and it makes us long for the time that there will not be any more groaning. Next verse says, Longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. So he switches the picture here now. When we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Now, I realize that our society is somehow trying to glorify nakedness. But let's be honest. Nothing is more frightening than being naked in front of a group of people. A lot of people have that reoccurring nightmare that they're standing in front of a room of, of people, or let's say they're speaking in front of a room of people, and they look down and they realize that they aren't wearing anything. That's a nightmare that a lot of people have. That it would be a nightmare for me. It would be a nightmare for you. And I don't think any one of you would, would relish the thought of standing in front of a group, a room full of people, uh, being naked. So if you think that's hard for us, if you think that's hard for us, for a Jewish person like Paul, who's writing this, there was an absolute horror of being naked. So you really have to get into his mind frame on this. Now, a life that is lived in this world is a life of nakedness in front of God. You remember when Adam and Eve fell into sin? What did they do? They went hiding from God. Why? Because they were naked. When they sinned, they were stripped of their robes of righteousness that they once wore. They were stripped of that image of God that they had, which was perfection. And then, in their spiritual nakedness, their spiritual nakedness helped them recognize that they were also physically naked. And it made them feel shame. And now, ever since, not only have we been born into this world physically naked in our birthday suits, but we've been born into this world spiritually naked in front of God. Meaning we have nothing good of our own whatsoever to offer Him. Nothing good to offer Him. And that brings us shame. So put that in your mind for a second. If the thought of being physically naked in front of a room full of people frightens you, then imagine what it would be like to be spiritually naked in front of a God who sees all. You see, that's what our sin does for us. We have a good reason, a good reason to hide from God. Because our sin brings us shame. And I know what you do. I know what you do, because I do it myself. You try to dress yourself up with this good deed and, and that righteous act to make yourself look good in front of God. But in reality... You're just like that, you know that story, you're like that emperor with the new clothes 
who actually wasn't wearing any clothes at all. You know that story? Yeah. You see, if, if, if you think the good things in life that you do make you look good in front of God, I'm here to remind you that you are naked. Stark naked. And no one, especially God, wants to see that. So friends, in Revelation, and here's proof, Revelation 16, 15, God says, Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Friends, don't pretend to be something you're not. Don't be like that emperor who's walking around thinking that he's clothed, thinking he's looking good, but being shamefully naked. So what this is, is a call for you and me to repent of our sin to God. So let's repent of our sin. Why? Here's the good news. Here's the good news. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So what is the good news? This is the good news. God has new clothes for us. And it's not like the stuff from this world that wastes away, disappears. God clothes us with robes of righteousness. God clothes us with our heavenly dwelling. God clothes us with perfection. God clothes us in such a way that we will never feel shame in front of him. All right? And it all comes right here to Jesus. Jesus' life for us, Jesus' death for us, his resurrection for us has given you and me the forgiveness of our sins. It's, it's robed you and me in robes of righteousness where God only sees Jesus in us. He no longer sees anything shameful or naked or exposed, but he sees righteousness. He sees Christ in us. And through Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, God has given us eternal life. So all of that other stuff, all of the mortal stuff that, that, la- that doesn't last, the stuff we try clothing ourselves with, the stuff that tries um, swallowing up our lives and running us over and taking us down, all of that stuff, all that mortal stuff will be swallowed up by real life that is really life, eternal life. 1 Corinthians 15, so just go to the last part of Paul's first letter to them. And he wrote, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. So friends, all of this stuff that makes us groan, the the nakedness that brings us shame in front of God, the... um, the sin in our lives that, that brings all of these consequences to us. And, and the fact that, that our, the imperfections of our body, the fact that it's wasting away, all of that groaning is going to be swallowed up by life. In, in the beginning of the sermon, we were using that phrase because I think we use that kind of an idea more of thinking that we get swallowed up by life and all these temporary things. But instead of all the temporary things that don't last of this world swallowing us up, the eternal life that God gives us, the thing that we have to look forward to that is perfect and permanent, that is going to swallow all of that other stuff up. And when something gets swallowed, 
You don't see it anymore, do you? When something gets swallowed, it ceases to exist. Groaning will cease. But you want some confirmation for that, don't you? You want some assurance, right? Look at the next verse. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So first of all, this was all done by God's divine design. It's always been part of God's plan that we would live for Him forever. And secondly, God has given us a deposit. You know what a deposit is, right? A down payment. When you make a down payment on a home, you are promising the bank that you will make the full payment in time. So God is giving us a down payment to promise that he's going to give us the full payment of eternal life in his good time. And the down payment? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who has called you to faith in Jesus, who strengthens that faith through his word, who lives in you. He is the guarantee that God gives you and me that this is going to be ours. He is the guarantee of the life that is coming. The Lord has given us a down payment. So what does that do? The fact that we have a down payment, what does that do for us who are still um, living in our earthly tents and who are still groaning while we're waiting for our heavenly dwelling? What does that do for us? Next verse. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body... We are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So number one, because God is promising us a permanent, perfect home, and because he has given us a down payment guaranteeing that that permanent, perfect home is going to be ours, we can walk through life with confidence. No matter what happens, no matter how hard it gets, we can walk through life with confidence because of who we are in Him. Um, this God we have gives gifts to everybody. God gives gifts to everyone. Whether you believe in Him or not, you are living, walking, and wearing His stuff. God gives gifts to all. Food, drink, clothes, work, family, friends, you name it. God gives gifts to everybody. But it is only the children of God, it is only believers in Jesus who receive the gift of lasting enjoyment and godly confidence. Why? Why? Well, because if we are oriented around Jesus, if we are living by faith, and if we are, in a sense, living with hearts centered on our eternal life and not on our earthly tents, then our satisfaction, our enjoyment, our confidence, and our joy will not be tied to anything but Him, anything but Jesus. And then, we can enjoy the gifts that God gives us the way they were meant to be enjoyed because they orbit around the right sun. Not ourselves, but our Savior. 
And then our second application. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. So based on the confidence that God has given us to walk through life with confidence and based on his love for us in Jesus, we now make it our goal to please him. As we walk out those doors and go on and live our lives, our goal is to please God. We want to please him. We want to please the one who has given us a deposit of the Holy Spirit. We want to please the one who has given us an eternal home to look forward to, who has replaced our nakedness with robes of righteousness, who has given us the forgiveness of sins and eternal life, the one who has removed the sting of death and brought life and immortality to light. We want to please him to thank him for all of those things that he's done for us. And we can please him by living lives, even while we're here in our earthly tents, living lives that are oriented around and that orbit around him. That's how we please him. We go do all the things that we do. We enjoy all the gifts that he's given us. But instead of orbiting them around us, we orbit them around him. And we use them to honor him and to share him with others. When John Owen, who, who was a man very strong in his Christian faith, was, was lying on his deathbed, um, he, his secretary wrote, writing in his name to a friend of his, I am still in the land of the living. But then Owen said, stop. Stop, no, don't write that, change that. Instead, write this. Write, I am still in the land of the dying, but I soon hope to be in the land of the living. Friends, that is the attitude that you and I can walk through life with. That is the hope that we can have. And that is the confidence that we can walk through this life with because our earthly lives, with all of their pain, with all of their hardship, with all of their guilt, and with all of their groaning, are going to be swallowed up by life. Eternal life. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.